Welcome in. It's True Crime Tuesday here on Darkness Radio. You're you're familiar with it. You love it. You know it. You can't live without it. Uh, Today, we're doing a little something different. You're familiar with Rip from the Headlines, of course, and that's what we're doing today. Um, Today is a a, a little bit different day. We're going to bring in our co-host, our co-host with the most, the BCB, the big cuddly bear himself, Beer City Bruiser. Kids, be gentle with him today. Um, he's been tossed around. He's he's been torn in fourteen different directions, and of course, you people have given him the con crud. So, um, so we're gonna be gentle with the BCB today, Bruiser. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm exhausted, uh, physically, mentally, emotionally. Uh, as you can tell from my voice, I've used it a lot. Uh, Rescade weekend was a huge success um, for your boy, but not only had I returned to the ring. Um, Saturday and Sunday. I also produced uh, three different shows with a total of over, uh, what was it, 50 some matches. Oh, wow. Two of the matches, three, I'm sorry, three of the matches being battle royals with 30 people. Jeez. So I'm having to produce all that. And then if people want to know what goes into producing um, um, matches or a show on my level, it's. Finding out everything going on, finding out, getting a headset to talk to the director, the cameraman, the referees, the sound guy, trying to get the right shots. So you fans at home, when you're watching it on Title Match Network, we give you the great best shot we can get. Mm -hmm. And you guys don't miss anything. So I'm constantly on the headset. I'm constantly talking to talent. I'm telling referees because in wrestling, we have times. We have to stick to a time. The, The stream cuts at this time so we have to get all this stuff in within my job to make sure we keep everybody going in and out in and out and and keep you on time so it it's just crazy <laughs> and then with that too we're dealing with all the legends and all the wrestlers one show is a complete women's show so i'm having to deal with over you know 50 women and it which, was uh which is a dream to some guys but yeah <laughs> you know and on top of that, I had a meet and greet, which I got to meet a couple listeners. Um, oh, shout cool. out to them. Thank you for supporting us. Um, hopefully got some new listeners. We had a little, those little code things you can scan and it yeah. would take you to the Darkness Radio Show website. And, nice. Um, so hopefully we got some new listeners and I got to meet some of our listeners, which is great. You know, sign Very some cool. pictures for them. And yeah, so as you can tell from my voice and you can probably tell from looking at me, Cruiser, that I'm uh, <laughs> not on fumes. In fact, before we started recording, uh, Mrs. Bruiser came in here to give me some some Dayquil and uh, three bottles of water. <laughs> there you go. We're going to try to save your, your voice a little bit today. We've got, uh, we'll have you weigh in occasionally here. We'll, we'll... Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I, I, Mrs. Bruiser asked me, are you recording with Tim this week? I said, I have to. We got listeners there. Like, Yeah. They're expecting the show, and, and I want to be here for them, and you'll get me through it. I know you will. I'll get <laughs> you're, yeah. you're a professional. I'll you've get you through this. it. You've been doing this a little bit. That's right. That's right. Well, Rip from the Headlines today is quite interesting here, Bruiser. It's, um, let's just say there, there are some stories that are very alarming. By the way, people are dismembering people at a record rate. I learned that as, as we're... As we're going through some of the, the, and by the way, with Rip from the Headlines, we're getting into some of the crimes from around the country that you may or may not have seen in in national headlines. 
uh, we're getting down to your local state levels and people are getting aggressive bruiser i you know i know we're butchering turkeys this time of year but <laughs> but not turkeys as in jive turkeys like your neighbors friends family and others um there are a lot of people that are are getting aggressive i don't know what it is I don't know either because it takes a lot to dismember a human body. Yeah. It's not like a turkey. <laughs> no. So I figured I wouldn't get into the aggressive nature of the country right now. I, I figured I'd pull some stories that were not as as aggressive. We're going to get into some aggressive stories. Trust me, there there are some out there that are absolutely spine chilling um, that we'll get into. But well, let's start off. With one that is spine chilling. Um, It doesn't matter what side of this debate you're on. Derek Chauvin, who was the Minneapolis police officer who was convicted in the killing of George Floyd, actually got stabbed in prison. Oh, really? Okay. And barely escaped with his life. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, now his mom is breaking the silence on that prison stabbing as employees performed life-saving measures. That's in quotes on Derek Chauvin. The family of disgraced former police officer Derek Chauvin claimed they were kept in the dark about the details of his prison stabbing that required employees to perform life-saving measures. Chauvin's mother, Karen or Carolyn Palenti, uh, found out her son was seriously injured in a stabbing through the media and was not contacted by any officials of his condition according to Alpha News on Saturday afternoon. How the hell do these news agencies know and his own mother doesn't even know? And that prison has an emergency contact number for me, Palenti told the outlet. So she didn't even get notified that her own son had been stabbed in prison. Which you'd think they'd do. <laughs> That's your son. Or, well, is he married? Yes. He, well, so, well, I should say he was married. His wife had filed for divorce. Okay, so when he went to prison, she filed for divorce. So Yeah. I'd be surprised that his next of kin isn't his mother then. Well, they wouldn't let him know. Well, she should be. And I, I would think that she's probably listed on some sort of form somewhere. We'll, we'll read on and find out. Yeah. Polanyi explains she's worried and scared about her son's condition. I can't even think what to say. I haven't been to bed and made a path in my kitchen and living room floor for pacing. Polenny went on to say. Chauvin's attorney, Bill Mormon, said that he has tried to contact the Bureau of Prisons on behalf of his client's family to find out more about the stabbing, but has yet to hear back from the agency. We have attempted to contact the Bureau of Prisons regarding the media reports regarding Mr. Chauvin, and if we have not heard back, uh, Mormon told the outlet. Gregory M. Erickson, another of Chauvin's attorneys, called out the prison for its lack of transparency. It appears to be indicative of a poorly run facility and indicates how Derek's assault was allowed to happen, Erickson said in a statement on Saturday. How the family members who are in charge of Derek's decisions regarding his personal medical care and his emergency contact were not informed after his stabbing further indicates the institution's poor procedures and lack of institutional control, the lawyer said, of the prison. 47-year-old Chauvin, who's serving 22 and a half years for the May 2020 death of George Floyd, was attacked around 12.30 p.m. on Friday at the Federal Correctional Institution in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, 
Prison employees had to perform life-saving measures before Chauvin was hospitalized, the Bureau of Prisons said. The federal agency shared that his attacker was also taken to the hospital, but they have yet to be identified. Chauvin has since been listed in stable condition. Brian Evans, a Minnesota Attorney General spokesperson, said Saturday that they have heard that Chauvin is expected to survive. Visiting at the facility remains suspended as of Sunday, according to the prison's website. I have to stay strong for Derek as he does for me. There is no stronger love than a mother's love, Chauvin's mother told Alpha News. Polanyi has made several trips to visit her son at the notoriously violent prison since he's been in the facility since late 2022. In November of 2022, an inmate pulled a gun and tried to shoot a visitor in the head, but failed when the weapon misfired. Wow. Yeah. This guy's got a lot of heat. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's just in the prison itself. Yeah, I was going to say. In May of 2018, disgraced former Michigan State University and USA gymnastics doctor Larry Nasser was assaulted at that very same prison and subsequently transferred out. Following Chauvin's stabbing, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison, whose office prosecuted the former cop for Floyd's death, said the incident is sad for a man who has already been convicted. I'm sad to hear that Derek Chauvin was the target of violence, Ellison said. He was duly convicted of his crimes, and like any incarcerated individual, he should be able to serve his sentence without fear of retaliation or violence. The stabbing in Arizona comes just one week after the U.S. Supreme Court rejected Chauvin's appeal of his second-degree murder conviction. Chauvin's lawyers argued that he was denied a fair trial due to the publicity surrounding the case and concerns about potential violence if he was acquitted. They had advocated for keeping his client out of the prison's general population and away from other inmates, anticipating that he'd be a target. With that in mind, Bruiser... Does this seem like a setup to you, or does this seem like it's fair? I I think it's a setup, because isn't it by law they have to report something medically with an inmate? Like, if an inmate, something happens to an inmate, they have to uh, report it to somebody, especially if they're doing life-saving measures, you know? Yeah. He's an older guy. You know he's got to have a medical power of attorney. Right. They have to let that person know. Because what if he does, what if he has a, a... uh, do not resuscitate on his file. You know what I mean? Right. You have to go to his, his thing. Um, but with such a high-profile case, I don't know why they would allow him around other inmates. I don't know either. But how long is too long to keep a former police officer in protective custody if they're sentenced to 22 years in prison? Uh, I, I think his sentence is even, he just, you're, you're there for at least 10 years of that. Do you, do you I mean some serial killers are put in, you know, especially child killers, they're put in special custody pretty much their whole sentence, you know? Is there ever this a time sparked, where you put him in general population or you let him? I don't think he ever goes to G Pop. I think he goes, you know, not solitary, not death row, but I think they put him away in his own little pod with other prisoners, you know, that aren't as violent, you know, because. Literally, his crime sparked. You know, his his crime wasn't like, oh, he just killed a black man, and and he was an officer who killed a black man, and now he's in jail serving that. No, his his crime literally sparked a movement. Yeah, a, a nationwide movement. Yeah, whether you think he was right or wrong, it doesn't matter. The facts say 
what he did started this this whole movement. Yeah. That's so high profile. I think you put him oh what you know, you put him someplace secure. And guess what? He he broke the law. If he wants to be in general population, have his lawyers uh, petition for it. But I think you put him away to where he does. He has very limited interaction with other prisoners until the heat dies down. And I don't think the heat will ever die down from this. Oh no, no. I think he's. Uh, and that's he's, just a, that's just an added sentence that he has to pay for for what he did. I think he's forever a target. Uh, oh yeah. For as well, long as he's Dahmer, in jail. The, the day Jeffrey Dahmer said he wanted to go into general population, he was in there for a couple of years, and then he got stabbed. Yeah, yeah. You know. But but to not be amongst people, and let me ask you this. Uh, is there a group, do you think, Bruiser, there's a, is there a group in prison that would actually protect him? No. I don't think there is. But my whole theory, too, is you, you do the crime, you do the time. You know, he, he was an officer of the law. He killed somebody in the line of duty. It was a high-profile case. Sorry, man. You know, you made your decisions. These are your consequences. Just like, and this is very petty compared to what he did, but a child stealing a cookie from the cookie jar, the mom comes up and spanks him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or you get grounded to your room for a week because you failed a test. You know, he got this- sentenced. He got sentenced. But he's got to look at it too. Like, but this, what I got sentenced for was a major, major movement within the nation. Not just the crime. The crime was a crime. You know what I mean? Right. But I think you. Now is he in Minnesota or no? They moved. No, him no, no. State. They moved him to a federal because uh, the feds put charges on top of the state crimes. Yeah. And found him uh, guilty of of federal. Um, uh, federal charges in federal Trump state, so he's in a federal uh, federal max in in uh, Arizona. Yeah, I think he he doesn't have to be with the death row guys who only see light of day for an hour a day. They're in their cell twenty three hours a day, but they need to figure out a way where he's he's not in G pop, you know, but he's in that type of environment, and the only human interaction he's going to have is with guards or his or visitors. That leads to one other question, and then we'll move on, and that's this. Is that going to affect his mental health long, time, oh. long term? Because in, in here's – not that I'm trying to defend Derek Chauvin or anything that oh, he's no, no, done, yeah. but, but yeah. we have to look at all sides and look at all, all sides fairly, and that's this. The minute you put him in jail is – I think you'll agree with this – is an automatic death sentence, but would it have been a death sentence to put him on the street – because oh, he's not safe on the street. No, he's not safe anywhere, really. No, he's if you, not. If you look at it. Um, and you talk about his mental health. How much is his mental health affected after? You know what I mean? He thought he was, and again, I don't, I'm not taking sides. He thought he was in the right doing what he did. Mm-hmm. He thought, okay, this guy's resisting me. This is what I have to do. Guy died. Turns out he was wrong. What no matter what it is, you know what I mean. We're looking at the facts. This is this is you and I looking at what was already tried in, in front of a jury. He was right. found guilty. Right. That mental health got it because here you go from this. This you know you're an officer of the law, free as can be, with a family. To now you're a convicted murderer, and not just a convicted murderer. You're a convicted murderer that's the center of the nation's 
you call it's caused riots. It caused turmoil within America. Right. He's got it. You know, his mental health's already being affected. I I think to protect, you know, and I think too, if he wants to be back in general population, have your lawyer do an appeal, get put in general population. That's what's happened to serial killers. You know, their lawyers appeal. I want to be back in general pop. I feel I'm safe. I feel I can protect myself. Okay. I don't. We'll, we'll appeal it. I don't think unless he's severely depressed that he wants to be in Gen Pop. I, think, I don't think so either. I think uh, he wants to be as protected as possible. Let me ask you this and then we'll move on. Do you think he'd be safer in jail or on the street? In, in jail. In jail? Yep. Do you think he has the how about, how about this? How about this? Um, I think the amount of innocent casualties that could happen are better off if he's in jail. Because think about this. He's in public and he's, he, he, I don't say he's estranged from his wife, but let's say he's with his wife and kids driving someplace. And someone recognizes him and starts opening fire and his, his child is hit. True. His, his child didn't do anything. True. Very true. Or an innocent, uh, you know, what if it is a woman, they're at Starbucks, he's ordering a coffee. And someone goes to stab him. There's a struggle, and a pregnant woman ordering coffee gets stabbed. You know what I mean? Yeah. You see the what yeah. I'm saying? Oh, yeah. The innocence. We're in prison. The collateral damage. Him. Yeah. You can. Yeah. There's there's no collateral damage with him in prison. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think that he has any allies on the inside as far as guards? Anyone who would look out for him, or do you think it's it's a free for all? I think he has allies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think there's some within that community because the, the, everyone hears about the blue wall and, and all that. The correctional guards are part of the blue wall. So I don't think he has all the guards in his sides, but I'm sure it, the the guards are probably just like America. They're split right down the line. Some thought he did the right thing. Some thought you know, he did the wrong thing. And I think that's it away. And I think he'll find those guards right away. Okay. All right. Let's move on. A suspected serial killer convicted of two murders in Delaware as he awaits more charges in Philly. This one is, and you know, you, you sent me an interesting uh, picture just now as, <laughs> as we were, as we go to talk about this serial killer in Wilmington, Delaware, you sent me a, a mugshot of the BTK killer. That's literally taken two weeks ago. That so is him in 2023. He looks horrible, doesn't he? That is frightening. Yeah. Boy, he looks horrible. He looks horrible. Um, we go to Wilmington, Delaware, where a jury found a 41-year-old s- suspected serial killer guilty of several charges relating to a brutal crime spree that occurred two years ago. The Delaware Attorney General's Office announced in a statement on Tuesday, November 14th, that Keith Gibson was convicted of 25 crimes, including four counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted murder, 13 counts of possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony, four counts of first-degree robbery, second-degree conspiracy, one count of theft of a motor vehicle, and one count of wearing body armor during the commission of a felony. He faces a mandatory sentence of life in prison in what Attorney General Kathy Jennings called a deeply disturbing case. On May 15th of 2021, Gibson robbed a Metro PCS store in Ellesmere and fatally shot employee Leslie Ruiz Basilio, who was all of 28 years old at the time, then stole her car. A few weeks later, Gibson robbed and killed 42-year-old Ronald Wright and then assaulted someone else. 
Over the next few days, he assaulted three others and attempted to kill one of the victims. Wilmington police arrested him on June 8th of 2021 during an armed robbery at a local Rite Aid. He was reportedly wearing a ballistic vest and had a loaded firearm, ammunitions, narcotics, and a knife on his person. He came to play, Bruiser. <laughs> he did. He was like, I'm going to do all my drugs and I'm going to go rob people. Yeah, exactly. He was indicted in July of 2021 on 41 felony counts. The Delaware Attorney General's office said at the time he was also considered a suspect in several murders in Philadelphia that occurred the same year. According to WHYYFM, the Y. <laughs> I, well, I, I, I want to the Y. I want to know what format that is, by the way. I do too. I'm yeah. so curious. It has to be news radio. It has to be news talk. We ask you why 24 <laughs> 7. Uh, unless, unless it's a rock band and a rock station, also plays the Who. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Who, what, where, or why. Or the Guess Who. That's true. The guess who and the who all day long. On the why, we play the who. Guess who? Uh, Gibson is believed to have killed four people in Philadelphia between February and June of 2021, including his mother, Christine Gibson. He also allegedly fatally shot Duncan employee Christine Lugo and two other men. You should get the chair for killing Duncan employees. <laughs> Just saying. I'm a huge Especially fan. If they're making those little munchies. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yep. And the and the and just the the thing of bacon. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I fell in love. I, I didn't know they had that till I went there the other day. And I somebody said, Oh yeah, they have really good breakfast tacos. So I went to go check it out. And I'm like, wait, I can order just bacon? Yes. Just <laughs> breakfast bacon in a little paper wrapper. Yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah, I love it. Attorney General Kathy Jennings said in a statement following the conviction, the defendant carried out a vicious, cold-blooded crime spree, killing two and injuring four people in Delaware and facing pending charges for yet more violence in Pennsylvania. He was armed and wearing a bulletproof vest when law enforcement arrested him, and it is difficult to fathom how much more destruction he would have caused had he not been apprehended. We'll move on to California where a man is convicted of beheading the mother of his child with a samurai sword. Whoa. The okay. hits just keep on coming, Bruiser. They do. You were kidding about dismembering. It seems to be an epidemic right now. It does. Yeah, and we'll continue on and go to San Mateo County, California, where a jury found a 34-year-old man guilty of beheading his girlfriend with a sword last year in what prosecutors called a vengeance motive. The San Mateo County District Attorney's Office posted on social media that Jose Rafael Solano Landeta uh, was convicted of first-degree murder with use of a sword in connection with Karina Castro's death. On September 8th of 2022, a witness flagged down San Mateo County Sheriff's Office deputies in San Carlos and alerted them about an assault nearby. Deputies quickly arrived at the scene and found an adult female deceased. The Sheriff's Office said at the time the suspect was known to the victim. The Redwood City Pulse reports that Castro had two children and Landeta was the father of one of them. Officials said he used a samurai sword and was slashing numerous times, causing the victim's head to be almost severed. Oh, jeez. Ah. That's taking a cut. What is it, 40 wax? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah, yeah. That's a painful way to go. That is. 
Because yeah. if you don't die the first one, you're feeling everyone coming after that until you die. Indeed. Landata reportedly initially pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, you think? Yeah. Uh, but after doctors deemed him competent, believe it or not, he <laughs> entered a plea of not guilty. How do you plead not guilty? The cops saw you, man. Yeah. Yeah. His attorneys reportedly argued he killed Castro in self-defense because he thought Castro was trying to stab him. Okay, I can understand the first whack. What about the other 39 whacks? <laughs> you almost beheaded her. Right, yeah. That's not self-defense. No, at a point you can stop. Yes. Yeah. She tries to stab you, you turn around, stab her back, walk away. Now I might give you self-defense, but when you behead her, no. No. Landeda's defense attorney said Landeda had a psychotic break at the time of the killing. According to NBC Bay Area, Landeda was not taking his schizophrenia medication when he killed Castro. Prosecutors reportedly said in court that Landeda was angry at Castro because she accused him of having a sexual relationship with an underage girl and that she would expose him by sharing that information online. Landata reportedly sent Castro ninja and blood emojis in his messages. <laughs> I didn't know there was a ninja emoji, but now I know. Thank you. I didn't either. I, yeah. I, got, I got to look that one up. If you Okay, so Tim, if I randomly send you a ninja blood emoji, do you think right away I'm coming over with a sword to behead you? Or are you thinking, huh? <laughs> you want me to donate blood at the ninja blood factory? Right. Like, what? I thought the Red Cross did that, not the Ninja Academy. I don't know. <laughs> I'd be confused for sure. Castro's father, Martin Castro, told Redwood City Pulse the verdict is bittersweet. He said, I am hoping to get some closure and normalcy back in my life. Or at least try. It feels like weight was lifted from my shoulders. Landata faces up to life in prison for the charge. Good. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Uh, another dismembering, this time by carjacking. Oh, wait, how, okay. This is going to be cute. I'm, I have questions, so I can't wait to hear the story. <laughs> Three teens plead guilty to killing a New Orleans woman during a carjacking that dismembered her. Uh, three teens again, pleaded guilty this week to carjacking a 73-year-old woman and dragging her more than a block with her arms still stuck in the vehicle. Oh, ouch. Yeah, while well, a fourth still faces a trial. NOLA.com reports that 17-year-old, I believe this is Brenaya Baker, 16-year-old Lenaira uh, Theophile, and 16-year-old Markel Curtis entered the plea for attempted manslaughter in connection with Linda Fricky's death. They were initially charged with second-degree murder. They were all sentenced to 20 years in prison. Fricky's sister said regarding the plea, for them to plead guilty and say they want to do the 20 years is a relief to us. The fourth suspect, 18-year-old John Honor, I believe it is, uh, pleaded not guilty to second-degree murder. His trial will begin Monday, November 27th. NOLA.com reports that the trial will most likely only last about three days. On March 21st of 2022, New Orleans Police Department officers were called to the 300 block of North Scott Street regarding a carjacking and found Fricky on the ground unresponsive. New Orleans police said Fricky's arm was detached from her body. She was pronounced dead at the scene. 
Ouch, ouch, ouch. Yeah. Police determined the four teens carjacked Fricky, which caused her to be thrown from her vehicle during the commission of the offense. Then the suspects fled from the scene in a Nissan. Then New Orleans Police Department Superintendent Sean Ferguson said during a press conference he believes Fricky was tangled in her seatbelt, which caused her arm to be severed from her body and dragged during the incident. Ow. That sounds incredible. That's a horrible way to go. It's incredibly painful. All four of the suspects were charged as adults. NOLA.com reports that Honor allegedly played a bigger role than the other three in the carjacking, including reportedly beating Fricky as he pushed her out of the car. So he, he's the one that knew she was all tangled up and everything. Yeah, yeah. If he and did, he's pleading not guilty. And Jeez. he's pleading not guilty. Yeah, no, the other three are going to flip on you, dude. <laughs> you know, I yeah. hate to say it, but they're going to flip on you. Well, they, they may be pleading because they may be cooperating. That's true. It may be a part of, hey, whoever touched her is going to get the worst. Well, and they're all like, well, we didn't do it. What are we going to get? Yeah. Yeah. If he gets convicted, Honor will be sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. According to NOLA.com, Curtis said in court, I wish I could go back and change the outcome. And that Fricky seemed like such a nice lady. Well, then don't drag her. Yeah. Yeah. You should notice, hey, there's something still sticking in the door. What are we doing? Well, first of all, don't carjack anybody. Yeah. Curtis said her involvement in the carjacking, or Curtis said her involvement in the carjacking was the worst decision of my life. Baker reportedly said following the plea, that's not what we set out to do. And I hope that you can all forgive me. Um, we can't. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting, to be honest with you. It is. One more, and then we'll take a break here. Uh, armed EMT thwarts an axe-wielding woman who slashed a man's face before smashing a station door, according to police. I'm glad it's an armed EMT. I've always wondered, watching these cop shows that I watch, why they don't give EMTs at least tasers? Right. And we you know, they, they're out in the streets, too, and, and they usually have it, – it's uh, the EMTs usually can't approach a scene until the cops clear it. But still, you never know. Yeah, you never know if there's – And this is an instance of that, you know? Yeah, exactly. We go to Kentucky, where an armed Kentucky EMT or EMTs subdued a woman accused of attacking a man with an axe before she allegedly smashed a door at the emergency service station. That, according to police, the Olive Hill Police Department said – Suspect 44-year-old Kelly Boggs allegedly attacked an unidentified man with an axe at about 1 a.m. on Friday. Uh, the male victim was left with serious injuries to his face and was found in a ditch behind the Carter County EMS station's west base. Police said that after Boggs allegedly attacked the man, she made her way to the EMT station and smashed a glass door. A group of EMTs were sleeping inside the station at the time of the incident. According to the report, the emergency workers uh, jumped into action to subdue the woman, holding her at gunpoint uh, until police arrived, authorities told the outlet. Boggs, who is from the neighboring town of Grayson, was charged with assault and, and criminal mischief. She's being held at the Carter County Detention Center. Sorry, I'm thrown off because I'm looking at her her mugshot. She looks pretty subdued right there. Oh, she's very subdued right there. Yeah. At, uh, yikes. Um, 
It's hard to imagine her wielding an axe. Uh, the, yeah. the injured victim was taken to a local hospital where he is being treated for serious injuries, according to the report. Fox News Digital reached out to the Olive Hill Police Department on Sunday morning for updates on the case, but did not immediately receive a reply. When we come back, Bruiser, we're dealing with Love Gone Astray. <laughs> and as long as you don't have any more dismemberments and axe wielding. Well, I didn't say that, my friend. I just, no, you just, didn't. You, in fact, at the top of the show said there's a pandemic going or there's an epidemic going on of people uh, dismembering each other. That's right. So uh, there'll be more violence. Uh, trust me on that. We're, we're doing some rip from the headlines. Dumb crime, stupid criminals coming up in just a bit. But... More rip from the headlines coming up in just a bit here on True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to True Crime Tuesday. It's rip from the headlines and dumb crime, stupid criminals. On the big program today, it's the cruiser and the burler taking care of business on a True Crime Tuesday. We'll start it off slow on the second half of the program. <laughs> yeah, because the last one had an axe-wielding woman that was tased. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, in this case, uh, a convicted drug trafficker, El Mago. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before. No, I like the name, though. El Mago. Uh, got such cool names when you're a drug kingpin. <laughs> that's true. Although this El one. El Chapo, El Guapo, El Mago. <laughs> it's always El something. It is, which is the. Yeah. Yeah, it's always L something. Uh, this one, however, was linked to an infamous cartel that we've talked about on True Crime Tuesday before. Okay. And that's the Sinaloa cartel. Now, this, El, actually, El Mago has, has posed with a famous actor at one point. You know what? Most drug ping, kingpins have, which mm -hmm. is crazy when after they're arrested or they're killed, all these pictures start coming out. This actor may want to lay low for a while. <laughs> was it Johnny Depp? Please be Johnny Depp. No. Oh, okay. He was he was uh, famous for playing a drug kingpin on screen. Oh, was it um the Mandalorian guy? Um, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. No. Zal Pacino. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> hey, whoa. The, the king of drug kingpins. <laughs> Do you think when the guy shook his hand and went, man, you have no idea how much you've inspired me? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I took your lead, man. I took your lead. I follow your, I follow your lead, Al Pacino. <laughs> A convicted member of the Sinaloa cartel who is pals with the son of jailed drug kingpin Joaquin El Chapo Guzman and love flaunting pictures of himself posing with Al Pacino and other celebrities was gunned down along an industrial stretch near Los Angeles, according to authorities. 39-year-old Eduardo Escobedo was one of two men killed on Thanksgiving morning along Town Avenue in Willowbrook, California, according to Los Angeles County Medical Examiner and Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. The other victim was convicted drug dealer Guillermo de Los Angeles Jr., do you think they named the town after him? No, no, I do not think okay. that happened. Right. Well, he was only 47 years old, so probably not. Escobedo was nicknamed El Mago, which translates to the magician, but he wasn't oh. that elusive. No, <laughs> See what he I wasn't. did there? He's taking pictures with all the. <laughs> <laughs> he was not uh, that quick. 
Uh, once the cartel's top marijuana trafficker, he served four years and nine months in a federal lockup for conspiring to distribute more than 10,000 kilos of pot or about 22,000 pounds. Wow, that's a lot of pot. Yeah, it is. But he only did four years? Yeah, that's it. Okay. He made himself disappear. Uh, See, I could give you one of these. <laughs> because okay. he's a magician. That's right. <laughs> And you think there's a lot of card tricks in prison? Is probably. this your card? Is this your card? <laughs> they all this is your pound of weed? They all disappear up his ass. <laughs> uh, and laundering drug proceeds. He went to jail for that as well. He was released in 2018. Escobedo and De Los Angeles uh, died at the scene after his sheriff's deputies responded to a report of shots being fired in the industrial area filled with warehouses. You think they were a little slow to show up? Yeah, I think they probably got the call and went, you know what, let's go get a donut first. We'll be, yeah, we'll be there. Yeah. We'll, we'll get we'll, there. We'll get there. We'll get there. A third man was taken to a local hospital with non-life-threatening gunshot wounds. He was not identified. It appears that there was some type of gathering or party at the location from last night to early this morning. Don't Ten- think it was a party. <laughs> yeah. Kingpins don't get together in a warehouse for a party. No, they, they get together to pick up stock. <laughs> Yeah, we, we've watched enough movies. And you know what? Al Pacino used to meet in a warehouse <laughs> yeah. back in the day when he was Scarface. That's right. Hey, maybe Al Pacino was there. But mate, you never know. You never know. Uh, that according to Lieutenant Omar Camacho, who sounds like a drug kingpin himself. <laughs> either, he's either the, the kingpin or he's the kingpin's like right-hand man. That's true. That's true. Uh, raised in East Los Angeles, Escobedo became the primary pot distributor locally to Guzman's oldest son, Ivan Archivaldo Guzman Salazar, according to the LA Times. He laundered the proceeds in part by buying exotic cars and shipping them to Culiacan, which is Sinaloa's capital and the cartel stronghold, which I'm trying to remember which movie I watched. Oh, no, no, no. It was the, it was the miniseries. Um, I'm trying to remember which guest we had on uh, that uh, the Mexican miniseries, um, but they showed that in the miniseries that that uh, the the drug kingpin in that series that's how he starts out shipping exotic cars back and forth. Okay, was it Narcos on Netflix? No, 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 not Narcos. It, it's on okay. uh, it's on one of the uh, Spanish speaking uh, streamers. Well, yeah, and that's how most drug kingmen start yeah. is the little crimes and then they prove themselves and get bigger. Yep. I mean, watch Scarface. You'll see it. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's believed Escobedo also ordered the murder of a rival trafficker who was gunned down in his Bentley on the 101 freeway in 2008. While Escobedo uh, was never charged in that murder, his brother and another man were convicted and are serving life sentences. In October of 2013, Escobedo was caught on a wiretap speaking with Guzman Salazar about smuggling more than five tons of marijuana through a tunnel under the U.S.-Mexico border. (laughs) So that's how they do it. Gotcha. Guzman Salazar remains one of of Mexico's most wanted men. Uh, Escobedo also openly flaunted an opulent lifestyle on social media in recent years, posing for photographs with Floyd Mayweather, Al Pacino, and other celebs. He also wore flashy tracksuits by Dolce and Gabbana and a diamond encrusted, is it Richard Mealy watch? Mill? Richard Mill watch? I'm not, I'm not a watch guy. But I don't know. I, I don't I'll have take one. it. You can correct me on social media or uh, on an email. I don't have one. I don't know. I know about uh, Rolexes. Oh, yeah, that's the, and Timex. And Timex, sure. Uh, one photograph, uh, and I know Tom Ford. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, one photograph. Uh, fossil. I know fossil. Fossil. Yeah, I know fossil as well. Uh, one photograph showed Escobedo holding a duffel bag full of money, according to the Times. In another, he embraces a member of the Mexican mafia while holding a bottle of Dom Perignon sh- or champagne. I know that too. So there you go. We move on. An Ohio teen allegedly killed her boyfriend's mom with a rock after giving him an ultimatum. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, find the closest thing you can. I guess, right? We go to Canton, Ohio, home of the Football Hall of Fame. Uh, Prosecutors are accusing a 17-year-old girl of beating and strangling her 33-year-old boyfriend. Oh, my God. 33-year-old boyfriend's mother to death because she allegedly believed the mom was preventing the couple from being together. Well, there's different ways of going about it. <laughs> you don't have to beat Peter with a rock. Now you're not going to be with him. 33 and 17? Would you allow yeah. your 17-year-old daughter to be with a 33-year-old? No. no. Hell no. I wouldn't either. The mom wasn't completely in the right. Yeah. But yeah. On May 5th, the Canton Police Department reached out to Sylvania Township Police and requested they conduct a welfare check on 53-year-old Nicole Jones. Officers went to her home on Timbers Edge Boulevard and did not find her, but there was evidence she was the victim of a homicide. Sylvania police issued an arrest warrant for a juvenile female, later identified as Caitlin Coons, on charges of aggravated murder and tampering with evidence. U.S. Marshals joined the search for Coons and her boyfriend, Jonathan Jones. Coons was reported missing in April while Jones had a warrant out for his arrest out of Wood County for pandering obscene material and child endangerment. Coons ran away from a group home in Stark County and allegedly texted a nurse in the home that she had killed two people. Nice girl. Why, why would you? Oh, well, at least she was being honest. Yeah. Uh, WJWTV reports the second person Coons claimed to have killed was at a bus stop in Arizona and did not actually get hit by gunfire or die. Jeez. Wow. U.S. Marshals caught up with a couple in Mexico and arrested them. The couple allegedly had Nicole Jones's social security card license and other forms of ID on them, as well as a backpack with burgundy stains. Yikes. I wonder what the burgundy stains were. <laughs> I'm thinking there's a head in there. On Friday, November 17th, a Lucas County judge determined Caitlin Coons will be tried as an adult for allegedly killing Nicole Jones. Sylvania Police Department uh, Detective Jake Albright noted in a police report that Coons allegedly told Jonathan Jones they needed to do something about his mother because she was preventing them from being together. Albright reportedly wrote in the report that Coons confessed to killing Nicole Jones after giving Jonathan Jones an ultimatum. WJW reports that Coons allegedly told Jonathan Jones he had five hours to decide whether they were going to do something about his mother. Oh, come on. Yeah, guess what? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to leave you, you 17-year-old crazy person. That's right. You can go back to the home. (laughs) That's what you can do. Yeah, you can go back to your mom. I'll go back to my mom. We'll we'll leave it alone. That's right. Lucas Because we're clearly breaking the law anyways. That's right. Lucas County Prosecutor Andy Lastra alleged in court that Jonathan Jones did not take any action after six hours, so Coons went outside, retrieved a rock. When Nicole Jones was standing in front of the refrigerator in the kitchen, unaware of Caitlin's presence, she bludgeoned Nicole Jones a number of times and strangled her. I want to know what her thinking process was. That, oh, now we can be together forever? You just killed his mother. You're going to jail. And 
No offense, somebody kills my mom. I'm not going to have a relationship with them. No, not at all. The couple reportedly put Nicole Jones' body in trash bags in a tarp, then left her body in a dumpster. The trash was taken to a landfill and still not found. Oh, yeah, it's gone forever then. You're not going to find it. No. Jonathan Jones was reportedly wearing a GPS ankle monitor because he had been convicted in the past of having a relationship with Coons who's underage. So the guy... Yeah, I don't like... But hopefully he goes to jail too. Yeah. WJW reports that Jonathan Jones has been charged with aggravated murder, murder in the commission of a felonious assault, tampering with evidence, and abuse of a corpse. So there you go. Let's move on, Bruiser. We got plenty to plow through here. I mean, not literally, but a, uh, we get to the love section of our uh, of our rip from the headlines where a woman. Wait, is, that wasn't love that we just read about. Well, that was love. That was one. Yeah, that was that was weird love. Not that this part isn't. This is true true romance love. This is true romance love. A woman is sentenced for killing an up-and-coming pro cycling star amid a love triangle. We go to Austin, Texas, where a jury has found a 35-year-old woman guilty of killing her romantic rival and fleeing, which led to a nearly two-month-long manhunt. The Travis County District Attorney's Office announced that Caitlin Armstrong was convicted on Thursday, November 16th of first-degree murder for the 2022 shooting death of up-and-coming cycling star Anna Mariah Moe Wilson. The AP reported the jury deliberated for about three hours before reaching the verdict. On November 17th, a judge sentenced Armstrong to 90 years in prison. On May 11th of 2022, at just before 10 p.m., Officers responded to a residence after someone called to report her friend, later identified as Wilson, as bleeding and unconscious. Police found Wilson has sustained uh, several gunshot wounds, and she was declared deceased at the scene. The AP reported that the 25-year-old Wilson had been shot twice in the head and once in the heart. According to Armstrong's affidavit, Wilson told her friend she was meeting up with a friend and fellow cyclist, Colin Strickland, that day, and they planned on going swimming. Wilson was reportedly in Austin for a race that many speculated she would win. Police obtained surveillance footage and noticed a dark SUV with a bike rack on the back part, I'm sorry, back park near the friend's home. Uh, the SUV was reportedly the only car in the area until first responders arrived. The investigators went to Strickland's home and found a dark Jeep Cherokee with a bike rack parked in the driveway, or in his driveway, rather. He told investigators Armstrong owned the Jeep and he never drove it. Strickland spoke with detectives and said he lived with his girlfriend, Armstrong. Uh, the two had been together for three years but broke up briefly in October of 2021. While separated, Strickland met Wilson and the two had a short relationship until he rekindled his romance with Armstrong. The affidavit says Armstrong found out in May of 2022 that Wilson and Strickland were still together even though he was back with her. The U.S. Marshal Service said police issued a warrant for Armstrong's arrest May 17th of 2022. On May 18th of 2022, Armstrong used a fake passport and flew to Costa Rica. Prior to her leaving, she sold her Jeep Cherokee to CarMax. (laughs) So now you know what you're getting when you go to CarMax. Yep. Marshals apprehended her in Costa Rica in June of 2022, extradited her back to Texas. According to the AP, while in Costa Rica, Armstrong underwent plastic surgery and dyed her hair, because why not? (laughs) Yeah. 
After the verdict, Wilson's mother said in a victim impact statement, when you shot Mariah in the heart, you shot me in the heart. She added she lived as if every day was her last day, and she lived it so fully she never wasted any time, saying it seemed like Wilson knew her life would be short, which is sad to say. Uh, we move on. A Michigan caregiver is charged after 82-year-old woman is allegedly wandered into the snow and died. A 58-year-old caregiver has been charged in connection. Left the door open and let grandma out. <laughs> well, that's, that's what's alleged. However, I have yeah. a feeling that something else devious happened here. A 58-year-old caregiver has been charged in connection with the death of an 82-year-old living facility resident who wandered into the freezing cold. Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel announced that her office charged Colleen O'Connor with second-degree vulnerable adult abuse on Monday, November 21st. In the early morning hours of December 23rd, 2022, O'Connor reportedly noticed that um, Lois Carey, who's been identified as the victim, tried to go outside two different times without appropriate attire into a blizzard with single-digit temperatures, sub-zero wind chill, and blowing and drifting snow. That, according to the Lansing State Journal, who reported that the area was under blizzard conditions at the time. According to the Attorney General's office, at approximately 7 a.m., a snowplow driver discovered Kerry buried in the snow in the parking lot. Oh, geez. So there wasn't much of an attempt made here. No. A caregiver reportedly said that Kerry had been covered by a heavy layer of drifted snow, suggesting that she had been there for quite some time. The victim was transported to a local hospital via ambulance where she died of hypothermia. At the time of Carrie's death, O'Connor was working as her caregiver at Vista Springs Imperial Park at Timber Ridge, an assisted living facility. The attorney general's office alleges that O'Connor recklessly failed to act to prevent the victim from going outdoors into the storm, resulting in her death. Nestle said in a statement, caregivers have a responsibility under the law to act in the face of grave danger to a vulnerable person in their care. O'Connor appeared in court for her arraignment on Monday, November 20th, and was given a $5,000 bond. She is set to appear in court again for a probable cause conference on November 30th. And it wasn't like the lady, it was the first time the lady was trying to do it. She tried to get out there twice before. Guess yeah. what? You should put her on high alert. Like, we need to watch her. She wants to get out. Right, exactly. Yeah, they, they, they had to do a much more diligent job of looking yeah. for her. Another round of love gone awry here, Bruiser. A Florida man was found guilty of killing his ex in a bank drive-thru several days after she broke up with him. Of course. Of course, it's Florida. Because so. bank drive-thrus, they don't have cameras or anything. No, no, you should get away with it scot-free. Yeah. We go to Venice, Florida, where a jury recently found a man guilty of trapping his ex-girlfriend in a bank drive-thru and fatally shooting her after she broke up with him. The Florida State Attorney's Office for the 12th Judicial Judicial Circuit, which is hard for me to say, announced that on November 17th, a jury convicted William Tollard of first-degree premeditated murder for the brutal slaying of his ex-girlfriend. A judge will impose Tollard's mandatory life sentence in the next several weeks. According to the Sarasota County Sheriff's Office, on the morning of October 5th, 2020, deputies responded to the drive-through of the BB&T Bank branch on Point Loop Drive to a report of shots fired in the parking lot. Uh, deputies located a 40-year-old deceased female in the driver's seat of a white Jeep at that point. 
Investigators determined that Tollard followed the victim in the drive through bank line and trapped her vehicle between his truck and a work van near the teller's window. Officials obtained surveillance video from the bank that showed Tollard getting out of his truck and walking up to Ziegler to talk. He reportedly, that ain't talking if he's got a shotgun. Yeah, I was going to say, that's not talking. No. He reportedly fired three gunshots at her at close range, then walked to her passenger window and fired two more times. Oh, my gosh. Yikes. He wasn't happy the first time? I guess. Ziegler's Jeep reportedly crashed into a light pole about 100 yards away. Tollard, with gun in hand, went back into his truck in the drive through line and parked next to Ziegler's Jeep. According to the state attorney's office, after parking, he walked up to his ex-girlfriend and fired several more rounds into her front windshield before driving away. Jeez. This guy was off his rocker. Yeah, he was bound to determine that something was going to happen to her. Two witnesses at the scene reportedly heard Tollard yell, Who the bleep do you think you are? You can't bleep and do this to me. Yeah, yeah, she can. She's a human being and doesn't have to be with you. Yep, exactly. Deputies apprehended Tollard near the scene at Jacaranda and Sklar Drives. He reportedly had a semi-automatic gun, a magazine with eight rounds, and a pair of binoculars in his possession. Ooh, Stalker City. Yeah. Yeah. According to the state attorney's office, Tollard and Ziegler had a tumultuous on-again, off-again relationship for around 18 months before the shooting. The victim had reportedly broken up with Tollard five days prior to her death. Assistant attorney, or state attorney, Karen, I believe it's Freilevig, uh, said in a statement, this is a case of a man who would not take no for an answer. This is a man that needs serious mental health help. That's true. Very true. Uh, let's see here. A teen is identified 31 years after her decomposed remains were found in an Arizona desert. Officials identified human remains in that desert as a 15-year-old who went missing over 30 years ago. According to the Apache Junction Police Department, Melody Harrison's family reported her missing to the Phoenix Police Department in June of 1992. Then about a month and a half later, on August 6th of 1992, officials discovered decomposed human remains near Idaho and Baseline Roads in the remote desert of Apache Junction. The victim became, became known as Apache Junction Jane Doe. Uh, apparently there was nothing out there, just dirt roads and a whole lot of nothing. That's they, a lot of, I want to say that's at least 75, 75% of Arizona is desert and mountain. That's right. Apache Junction Jane Doe was five foot one and between 16 and 18 years old at the time and likely had been deceased for three to five weeks uh, by the time her body was discovered according to the center officials who uh, from uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, who, according to the center, the officials could not immediately identify her race, but her hair was microscopically similar to head hairs known for, it says here, admixed Amera Indian at the time. She was wearing long Levi shorts and a white shirt with soccer designs. She also reportedly had a Phoenix transmit, or transit system card on her, as well as a small drawing of a penny. The statement said the victim has no obvious dental care and her teeth were described as protruding. But they found her and eventually identified her through the DNA Doe Project using a family tree to locate a very distant relative, which then helped investigators home in on a closer cousin. 
Eventually, they identified Apache Junction Jane Doe as Harrison. Uh, the reportedly, or she reportedly lived in Phoenix and was in her freshman year at Stone Mountain High School. So there you go. Okay. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'm glad they found her. Yes, most definitely. Let's get to a celebrity story. You ready for this? Oh, definitely. Hulk Hogan's son is arrested for a DUI in Clearwater, Florida. I know all about this. Yep. Same street, too. Same street. Nick Balea, son of the wrestling legend Hulk Hogan, was arrested in Clearwater on a charge of driving under the influence. An arrest affidavit said at uh, around 1.18 a.m. on Saturday morning, officers were conducting a stop at uh, Gulf on Gulf to Bay Boulevard, spotted a Dodge Ram that was approaching them in a separate lane. <laughs> An officer used his flashlight to signal Nick, whose legal name is Nicholas Balea, that he must move another lane over and slow down, but police said he did neither. The Clearwater Police Department said another officer detected that the vehicle was speeding at 51 miles an hour in a 40 on his in-car radar. When Balea was pulled over for a violation of the move-over law, officers said he showed signs of impairment, saying he was swaying and unsteady, and had a strong odor of an alcoholic beverage, and had bloodshot glassy eyes. According to police, he refused to take a breathalyzer test and failed sobriety test, brother! Uh, Balea <laughs> previously made headlines in the late 2000s when he, at the age of 17, was involved in a serious crash that left him and his friend, John Graziano in Bayfront Hospital on August 26th of 2007, which, by the way, was my 37th birthday. Uh, this they weren't they weren't oh, celebrating. Yeah, they weren't celebrating. By the way, uh, well, no, Graziano went to a coma. <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, this incident also happened in Clearwater, uh, according to Sam and Ash Injury Law. Uh, Balea pleaded no contest to a charge of reckless driving in May of 2008, getting a sentence of eight months in the county jail and five years of probation. Graziano's family also sued Balea and Hulk Hogan for the victim's injuries, which left him paralyzed and in need of her nursing care for the rest of his life. Lawsuit ended in a $1.5 million settlement. Um, which I know they took to court, I think, to... Um Disputed. They did, I think. Yeah, yeah. you're right. They lost. But yeah, still. they did. Yep. Two more stories here on Rip from the Headlines. An Illinois nursing home resident allegedly killed a man with his own walker because he was mad about laundry. <laughs> As we get closer what? and closer to dumb crime, stupid criminals. I see that. <laughs> yeah. We're lighting things up just a bit. Uh, police arrested a 71-year-old man ever after he allegedly beat a fellow nursing home resident to death because he was mad about the victim using the washing machine. Actually, I think we'll leave off with this one. We'll leave the, the other one for another day. Maybe we'll leave that one, the one I have picked last for Supernatural News tomorrow because it's quite grisly. Okay, sounds good to me. Okay. Uh, with this story... On November 17th, Joliet Police Department officers were called to Salem Village Nursing and Rehabilitation on Rockwell Avenue regarding a battery in the building. And we're not talking about a AAA. No. I'll give myself one of these. Officers went inside and reportedly found a 61-year-old man unresponsive inside the laundry room. Staff members from the nursing home rendered aid until paramedics arrived. The victim, who remained unidentified, was pronounced deceased at the scene. According to Joliet Police, investigators allege the suspect, William Paschal, assaulted the victim in the laundry room because he was angry about the victim's use of the washing machine. 
Paschal allegedly punched the victim in the head several times and took the victim's walker and hit him with it. <laughs> that sounds like something from WrestleCade this past weekend. It does too. It was. It was. It sounds like something I came with my head when I had that walker for a week while I was rehabbing my hip. Like, hmm, wonder if I do a storyline where someone beats me with this. <laughs> the victim reportedly fell to the ground after being attacked with the walker. A nursing home staff member reportedly tried to step in and stop the fight. Both Paschal and the victim lived at the nursing home. Paschal was arrested and transported to the Will County Detention Center and charged with first-degree murder and aggravated battery to a person 60 years of age or older. That kind of reminded me a little bit of um, reading that story when I pulled that story. Reminded me a little bit of when Vern Gagne killed a guy in the nursing home. Body slammed him. Yep, body slammed him. They said he had a, a moment of lucidity where he thought he was back in the 70s and in a match. They so body slammed the guy and killed him. His roommate. Yes, indeed. Yep. Yep. So there you yep. go. And that'll do it for Rip from the Headlines, folks. It's time now for us to lighten things up a bit and time for us to go to dumb crimes and stupid criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Story Time. What happened with this dude, Christ Bearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? Uh, I need help. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time again, the time you all looked forward to on True Crime Tuesday. It's time now for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. We don't need to introduce our co-host. We've done it once already. But yep. there he is, the BCB, Hello. the big cuddly beer. Sorry, <laughs> it sound funny. That's okay. <laughs> beer City Bruiser. Um, we start out with, you know what? I don't know that we read this story about the guy who dressed as the Joker. Uh, no, I would have remembered this. <laughs> the headline is, Why So Felonious? That's a horrible Joker makeup, by the way. It is, isn't it? This this guy does not look that good. No, that is a terrible... Oh, he's doing... Okay, he's doing Suicide Squad Joker. Yeah, Suicide Squad Joker. Because he's got the damage written on us. It's still a yeah. terrible Joker makeup. It is a terrible Joker makeup. A pedicab driver dressed as the Joker and packing a loaded 9mm handgun is facing felony charges after allegedly battering... A female customer during a Halloween fair dispute in Orlando. This story is a couple of weeks old, but we pull it anyways. He had a gun and battered her. He didn't shoot her. Evidently not. This guy does not know how guns work, does he? No. Investigators allege that 30-year-old Brandon Jawan Morris threw the victim to the ground and then rummaged through her belongings and removed cash from her wallet. The 2.15 a.m. incident on November 1st occurred across from Orlando City Hall and triggered around 11 separate 911 calls. Everybody was on their phone. Um, Morris and Deborah Smoot, the victim, apparently argued about a $15 charge. Oh, geez. Come on. When cops arrived on the scene, Smoot was found on the ground crying and yelling, and she appeared to have swollen legs, which were reddish. Meaning he grabbed her by the legs and did something to her. I guess. Smoot Can you imagine those 911 calls? Like, 911, what's your emergency? There's a guy in a shitty jo uh, Joker cosplay beating the crap out of some girl. Can you come out here? <laughs> Smoot described her assailant as a black male dressed as a joker with the words damaged on his forehead. In 2016 Suicide Squad movie, The Joker 
played by Jared Leto, has such a tattoo. Two witnesses gave police statements corroborating Smoot's account with being thrown on the ground and relieved of her money. Uh, Morris was quickly apprehended while still in the area on his pedicab. Those pedal cabs, by the way. I was going to say, he's not getting away. <laughs> no. He claimed to not recall any altercation that evening and constantly stated that he did not put his hands on anyone. When Orlando Police Department officers searched Morris, they discovered a Taurus pistol inside an Army Green crossbody bag on him. The gun was loaded with a magazine who had a round chambered. <laughs> not bright. No. Morris was charged with battery and misdemeanor and two felonies, robbery and possession of a firearm and during the commission of a felony. He was subsequently freed from custody after posting bonds totaling $10,500. And now he's doing a shitty Penguin cosplay. Yes, he <laughs> is. Danny DeVito from Batman Returns. <laughs> yes, he is. He's, he's got all the movies covered. He does. We move on to California, where a woman is busted for comically faking a license plate on a stolen car. Oh, okay. Well, hey, at least she's thinking ahead, knowing, hey, if they scan this license plate, it's going to come back stolen. I will uh, replace it. <laughs> comically, by the way. Comically. Uh, the driver, 38-year-old Angel Rasheen Bolton, was arrested early Friday morning by cops in Benicia, California, for brazenly handwriting license plate numbers with a thick black marker on what appears to be printer paper and taping it on the back of a silver Kia Rio LX. <laughs> Wait, you don't buy my license plate? This doesn't look like it's metal? No? Come no. on. Oh, come on. We know we are not superheroes, but just FYI, this is not a way to get one over on us, the Benicia PD wrote on Facebook. At about 1 a.m. today, one of our officers was patrolling the area of the 5,000 block of East 2nd Street when he saw this beautifully handwritten license plate on a car. A quick check of the vehicle showed that it was reported stolen out of Alameda. The numbers on the right side of the mocked-up plate were somewhat smaller than those on the left, apparently because the artist ran out of room trying to squeeze them in. <laughs> so it's like the Mick Foley shirt when he was commissioner. Remember that? Yes. Where it said commission, and then down the side it said err. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to make matters worse, the counterfeit plates tags were expired. And <laughs> Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're making counterfeit plates. You said, well, hey, we don't want to make it look like too obvious. So let's get it for like three days from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In the top right corner of the plate was penned Jan 2023, where the expiration date on a real registration sticker would be. Bolton was arrested without incident and taken to the Solano County Jail, police said. Uh, she was charged with felony possession of a stolen vehicle and misdemeanor possession of unlawful paraphernalia. She could, be she could not be reached for comment on Saturday, probably out of uh, sheer embarrassment. A passenger... A 30-year-old man from Alameda, whom police did not immediately identify, was also arrested and booked for possessing a controlled substance, allegedly a narcotics pipe. Police said the passenger had three out-of-county warrants for his arrest. <laughs> Let me show you the, the license plate here, Bruce. There you go. Would you believe that if you were a cop? Oh, God, no. <laughs> not even close. And it's, it, look, if you look, it's electrically taped onto the thing. It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's electrically, <laughs> electrically taped, as you said, right on the back. Of, electrical tape, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, electrical tape. Still. Yeah. It's very obviously not what it says it is. Let's move on. A wild Thanksgiving Eve brawl at a popular Massachusetts restaurant leaves a man bloodied, according to police and 
they're investigating felonies all around. Um, there's the famous uh, scene from A Christmas Story where they all go out for Chinese food. Oh, yes. Yeah, and this... Ra, 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 ra. <laughs> you got it. Um, <laughs> this time, this one also broke out at a Chinese restaurant in Massachusetts. A wild brawl broke out at a Chinese restaurant in Massachusetts on Wednesday, turning the family... Uh, turning the family dining establishment into an amateur WWE ring that left <laughs> at least one man bloodied. You know, I would love to see a Chinese food brawl uh, in WWE. I would too, with all the rice and lo mein and all that. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah, I'd do it. Yeah. The fight ignited at Kowloon Restaurant in Saugus, Maine, or I'm sorry, Massachusetts, no. not Maine. No, come on. Kowloon? Have you, have you been to Kowloon? Oh my God. The owner of Kowloon is a big wrestling fan. So anytime Ring of Honor was in town, my birthday party, my 40 something birthday party. Was that Kowloon? Was it? And, dude, some of the best Chinese food I've ever had was Kowloon. Shout out to Kowloon. Love ya. Kow oh, my gosh. That, that's Malonis' favorite restaurant. I've been there numerous times. Really? Yeah. Well, now it's now it's famous for a different reason. I see. Yeah, when you first walk, in fact, when you walk in, my 8 by 10s on the mall. Really? Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, Kowloon is now famous for, for a brawl. Uh, on Thanksgiving Eve, with uh, packed with patrons, a video posted to social media. You can watch it now, Bruiser. Uh, captured portions of the frenzy as multiple people are caught throwing punches at each other inside the popular New England restaurant. At one point, a man whose face was bloodied was caught in a headlock by another male, while two women attempted to break them apart before a glass bottle apparently got thrown and shattered on top of the two men. In a separate video, a police officer tackles one of the fighters to the ground in an attempt to break up the brawl. Six Saugus <laughs> police officers assigned to the restaurant Wednesday night rushed inside and de-escalated the chaotic brawl. Uh, the Kowloon is a family-friendly restaurant. Unfortunately, a few unruly patrons ruined a nice evening for many others. Saugus Police Chief Michael Rick is it Riccardielli, I believe, uh, said in a statement, according to NBC Boston, a disturbance such as this on Thanksgiving Eve is unacceptable and disgusting. Massachusetts state troopers arrived a short time later and stayed on the scene to disperse the crowd after the owners decided to close the bar and resta restaurant down early. Uh, when I heard it was on social media and all the people who were watching it, I was like, oh my God, I guess that's the good and bad of being popular. Kowloon owner Bob Wong told the outlet, the 1,200 seat restaurant, wow, that's big. Oh yeah. Located roughly 11 miles northeast of Boston, boasts itself as one of the premier multi-concept dining establishments in the United States, which Wong says is very popular on Thanksgiving Eve. Wong said the brawl broke out hours after the restaurant shared photos of eager customers standing in a, a line running out into the parking lot just after 8.30 p.m., saying they were grateful for the hundreds of customers waiting outside. Police had detained and questioned several young men involved in the brawl. No arrests had been made, and the number of people injured was not revealed, but a felony investigation was opened in, because the glass bottle was used during the fight. Yeah. It's, a, it's an amazing restaurant. I'm, I'm actually kind of sad the story came yeah, out. there's a picture of it right here. 
Yep. Oh, yeah, I, I can uh, go way back. But I can send you a picture of me and Brian standing in front of it. Look at the line, by the way. That was oh, Thanksgiving. That's, that's every, like, yeah, that's a holiday, but there's usually a line like that every weekend. Jesus. Tim, I'm telling you, if you love Chinese food, you got to try Kowloon. I do. I, it, I, would, I would love to try it sometime. I, I remember when the first time I went, we just ordered a meal. The second time I went, I ordered my meal, and then I ordered another meal for the next day because I wanted to have it two days in a row. Really? Yeah. That's That sounds like good stuff, that's for sure. Say it isn't so. Hall sues Oats for being out of touch with a business agreement. I saw this article, and I'm glad you pulled it. I love this. First first people are biting each other named Hall and Oats, and now the actual Hall and Oats are suing each other. That's right. Private eyes are now prying into the inner workings of the legal rift between legendary soft rock duo Hall and Oats. I love Hall and Oats. I do too. Maneater is a great song. Yeah. 77-year-old Daryl Hall sued his 75-year-old John Oates, Oates's wife, and another trustee earlier this month, alleging Oates's plan to sell his side of a joint venture would violate their business agreement. The Nashville judge who temporarily blocked Oates's maneuver on Wednesday ordered more documents in the case to be unsealed after the lawsuit filed under seal on November 16th, had obscured the details of the case. Now, unsealed records show that Chancellor Russell Perkins issued a temporary restraining order against Oates and his trust to halt the sale of his share of Whole Oats Enterprises LLP to primary wave music for 15 days or until an arbitrator makes a ruling. The suit was first lodged after Oates performed solo shows in which he sang songs that Hall took credit for writing. Sources privy to the conflict have told TMZ that the legal battle pertains to ground rules of who can sing what as a solo artist, along with money issues, of course. Lawyers for Hall uh, had moved to seal certain filings of the lawsuit, arguing it is a private matter between the singers, famous for 70s and 80s Yacht Rock hits, like You Make My Dreams Come True and Rich Girl. Although Perkins ordered some of the filings unsealed, they did not reveal exactly what is at stake in the lawsuit. This brings up a question I'll, I'll ask here in a second. In the suit, Hall's lawyers claimed Oates and his team violated a confidentiality provision by sharing their business arrangement in a letter of intent to primary wave, which they say should legally negate the sale. The entire unauthorized transaction is the product of an indisputable breach of contract, Hall alleges, uh, according to filings. The case will now be heard during a November 30th court hearing. Primary Wave has held a significant interest uh, in the band's catalog for over 15 years, the filings show. In 2021, Hall told Sky News he was not happy with past arrangements as he warned artists to hold on to their publishing rights, saying, all that you have is that. Oh, in the early days, he's quoted as saying, it got sold off for me and I didn't get the money, he said. Oh. That's Hall happened to a lot of artists. That's a common thing in music, which is sad. Yeah. Where they create the music and somebody else owns it and sells it. Yep. Hall and Oates met in Philadelphia in the late 60s, where they both attempted or both attended Temple University. They went on to release 18 albums and notch 16 top 10 hits and six chart toppers. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2014. We had this incredibly good problem of having so many hits, Oates said, before the duo brought their show back on the road in 2021 after their tour was halted by COVID-19. Believe me, it's not a chore to play those songs because they were really great. 
In 2015, the duo teamed up to sue a Brooklyn-based food company that was hawking a granola snack named Holland Oats. Mint, like <laughs> Holland, like truck Holland. Yeah. Um, now, this suit, if I read this right, is over Oats performing the songs? Yeah, for now, the, the songs that Hall wrote. Right. Now, I thought when it's performed in concert that it doesn't matter. Anybody can perform anybody's song. Like, I can perform a cover of somebody's song. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I thought that was the case, too, because how many times you hear bands playing other bands' songs? Right. You know, especially bands that are influenced by somebody. Right, because if I perform... I think that's a petty way. This this lawsuit, if you think about it, is really petty. It's two guys that spent too much time together and now are trying to find different ways to dig at each other. I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, because it, regardless... Are you Facebook friends? I, th- I, I not, not anymore. <laughs> um, I think what it is, because you get paid by ASCAP and BMI. Yes. So what's the big deal? Yeah. I, unless, I, unless he's trying to get paid by a certain promoter to go out on the road and perform these songs. And Hall wants a cut of what he's making. Which doesn't make any sense either. I know. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tour yourself. You're still one half, and you still have half the songs credited to you. You can still well, play them. Daryl Hall does does tour on his own, and he plays yeah. all the Hall & Oates catalog with with his own band. Yeah, so I think he's just being petty right now. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. I, I totally so, don't get any of it. Because under that logic that he's suing them under, if you go see, let's say, a band like, let's go see, say, Eric Clapton. Mm-hmm. And Eric Clapton says, oh, this is one of my favorite songs. And he sings Maneater. Technically, Hall & Oates could sue him then, according to this lawsuit. Uh... That's that's kind of what it sounds like, because Hall played yeah. this song in concert. It tells Oates me, is like, well, hey. it tells me this is going to get thrown out. Oh, definitely. But it sounds to me like he's it's trying petty. to he's he's trying to sell catalog rights, which doesn't make any sense either. It sounds right. to me like Oates owns the catalog. Yeah. I, which I don't you know. think again? You think they'd split that right away? Hey, we're we're the band, you and me. We get everything 50-50. You know, but again, that's management too. Because look at the Beatles; the Beatles don't own any of their music. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, um, Michael Jackson's music was just purchased by somebody. You know, he didn't own any of his music. TLC got screwed out of how much money? Yeah, yeah, they did. Salt and Pepper's another one. Yeah, yeah. The the one thing before Prince died, he always he, he would tell artists that wanted to work with him. Yeah, he would say, "Do you own your publishing?" And if they said no, he wouldn't work with them. Good. That's smart, because then you don't get into this situation. Right, because his thing was, if you don't own your publishing, then one, you aren't as advanced as an artist as I thought you were, and two, we can't work together and share publishing on a song. So it doesn't make sense for me, because I don't want to have to owe Warner or somebody else. I don't want to be under contract with them or have to share or fight for rights for a song. Right. I just want to know that you and I are, are splitting publishing on a song. So, yeah, it, it it makes a lot of sense. It's but, sad because these two guys are great artists, and Hall and Oates is, will always be a legendary band, and they're just not getting along, which happens to a lot of great bands. Yeah, it does. You it know, does. Pink Floyd and Sid. Yep. Um, 
Judas Priest and Halford, yep. you know. Yep. Uh, let's continue on. Continue on. There's certain, you know, when, when you fly, Bruiser, and I know when I fly, sometimes you might have an anxious moment, sometimes, especially when you're injured, when, you, when, you're, when you're hurting, you have anxious I moments. I have a lot of anxiety flying. I'm okay flying. I'm okay flying, but like if I'm doing a cross-country flight, I can only yeah. sit for so long when I'm in pain. Me too, but I, I always get up and I walk and use the restroom and, and do what I can do. If I can. there's I've been on some flights where it's constant turbulence and you can't get up. and I still, I still get up. Do you? Oh, I, yeah. I, I always get shut down by a, a flight attendant. I do too, but I'll still get up and I'll walk a few steps. And then they'll say, sir, you got to sit down. I'm like, okay, I'm just stretching. I have this injury. And they'll usually be like, okay, you can have another minute, but then you have to sit down. I'm like, okay, thank well, you. They're nice to you. They tell me to sit my ass down. <laughs> I got to learn tips from you. Um, <laughs> there's certain drugs you can take in order to calm your calm your silly ass down on a plane. I've taken those also. <laughs> One of those drugs is not meth. Oh, well, no, that's the wrong drug you want to take before getting on a plane. <laughs> Especially when you're traveling to Korea. Oh, yeah. You know what? You should avoid meth cocaine and any hallucinogenic <laughs> yeah yeah those are the ones you want to you want to avoid a woman on meth tried to open an emergency door on a plane 10 hours into the flight to korea of course she did <laughs> she had to get out of there she had to get out of there she had enough enough was enough a meth-addled plane passenger tried to open the emergency door as the flight soared over the pacific ocean on thursday bruiser not a good idea no. Uh, the 26-year-old woman was arrested by the Incheon International Airport Police Corps uh, after trying to yank open the door of the Korean air flight traveling to Incheon, a South Korean city bordering Seoul. Uh, the plane had been nearing the end of its nearly 15-hour flight from New York that had departed at 2 a.m. the previous day. Witnesses told police that she had begun showing signs of anxiety about 10 hours into the flight and tried to rip the door open several times before she was finally restrained by flight attendants. She later tested positive for meth, airport officials told the Korean Jung Ang Daily. They're probably like, well, that's your problem right there. <laughs> you got so much meth on you. <laughs> in you. <laughs> and it was South Korea due to that southern accent you just did. Yeah. Exactly. That's why it's south. Yeah. Here's the problem. You got too much meth in you, girl. <laughs> uh, police said the woman had entered the country after staying in New York for over six months and had no record of mental illness. It is the third instance of a passenger trying to open emergency doors on Korean flights this year. Mental note. Don't fly to Korea this year. You got it. Including a drugged up 19-year-old who was sentenced to three years in prison. Don't open the door. Don't open the door. No. You're it not also, going anywhere. Even if you open the door, where are you going? Right. Yeah, exactly. You're going to free fall? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and kill the plane. It also comes one month after an Oregon off-duty pilot allegedly tried to down a max capacity plane while experiencing a days-long mental breakdown exasperated by a magic mushroom trip. One of the things that Bruiser just mentioned, too, that you don't do before you jump on a plane. <laughs> Joseph Emerson faces a count of attempted murder for each of the 83 lives on board, claims he thought he would snap out of his drug-induced delusional state if he crashed the packed plane. Not a good look. No, you're not coming out of your drug-induced state. Right. 
This story is filed under um, dumb dogs, stupid criminals. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, A pack of dogs destroys cars at a Texas dealership and causes up to $350,000 in damages. There's a video out there to watch of it as well. Actually, it's not a pack. It's just two of them. But two canines (laughs) have gone doggone mad, bruiser. They're just doggone mad. Uh, Two canines have been ripping up vehicles at a Texas auto dealership, causing hundreds of thousands of dollars in damages, bad doggy. Uh, according to employees, the dogs terrorized the G Motors dealership on three separate nights between November 6th and November 18th, tearing off bumpers and fenders, shocking surveillance footage provided to ABC 13 shows. Uh, the pooches alone ravaged five cars with damages estimated to cost $100,000 to $350,000. There must be a hell of a markup if it's wow. between those. Yeah. Uh, these dogs hated these cars. Yeah, they did. They must be Chevys. No, I'm just going to do that. Um, that, according to sales manager Gabby Fakuri, you never think a dog has that kind of power to tear up a car like that, Fakuri said. Another employee said he believed that only a wolf could cause such extensive damage before seeing the video. The dogs can be seen walking on top of the cars and seemingly working together to pull off parts of the car with their teeth. Wow. They really hate these cars. They really hate the. Here's the two. Here's the two adorable pups right here. The the one in the back looks like Ziggy. Yeah, the one in the back looks like Ziggy. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that something? Uh, maybe it is Ziggy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, it's um, not. Footage she, of she doesn't destroy cars. She destroys glasses and sheets of paper we leave laying around. Well, there you go. Uh, footage of the first incident shows a cat, which employees believe the dogs may have been after. Fakuri said the incidents. Well, of course, it's a cat's fault. Maybe he hit this bumper. Rep. Maybe he hit this bumper. Rep. Exactly. Fakuri said the incidents have left workers terrified and is worried that it could keep people away from his business. Uh, nobody wants to leave their cars anymore and they want to make sure they get straight into the office. They're so scared. Oh, come on. The dealership has filed a report with the Houston police department, but they've been told there is nothing the police can do as it's a civil matter. Unless the dogs have attacked a human. Yep. Uh, we don't want to wait until someone really gets hurt for Corey says, take a look at this bumper. They went crazy. See, now, if they built cars like cars used to be built, that wouldn't happen. That's right. If it had the old chrome fender, that would never come off. Yeah. That's for sure. Look at this one. Holy shit. Look at They went to town on this one. Whoa. It, wow. You can see, too. They even tried to get in the hood. Yeah, they tried to get in the hood of that deal. They went crazy. They really hate those cars. They hate those cars. Uh, what's the make? Oh, this one's a Honda. They, well, they don't like the foreign jobs. <laughs> that's what it is uh, they were urged by police to hire a private investigator to track down the dog's owner if they have one whom they could sue for damages employees believe that the dogs are getting into the fenced in dealership through a small gap the dealership is moving to a new location next month hopefully far from the destructive dogs well if you're moving what's the big deal yeah yeah um, what, you, what you do is you leave out a container of meats when the dogs come in they go to the meat instead of your cars that's right use some use some savvy in this deal yeah or get yourself a junkyard dog to protect it yep there you go see yeah that's brilliant bruiser brilliant 
Or you know what you get? What? Get yourself a pack of Oreos and pitch them some bitches at the dogs. <laughs> sure can. I know Oreos that's won't hurt them. That's what one man did to his wife. <laughs> Threw Oreos at her, huh? That's right. This next story has to do with <laughs> has to do with a man in Florida who was busted for attacking his wife with Oreos. <laughs> I kid you not, Bruce. That's the first thing I think of when I want to hurt somebody. That's right. This guy, take a look at this guy. He doesn't look like he's all there anyways. No. Wow, those are some bad. He needs to sleep. <laughs> he does. His bags are so big, they're suitcases. A Florida pensioner threw a package of Oreos at his wife, causing the 75-year-old victim to fall to the ground, according to cops who arrested the man on a felony battery charge. But you didn't know you get a felony battery charge for throwing a pack of Oreos at somebody. It's a weapon. It is. In a police interview, the woman said she and the accused, 70-year-old John Sandoval, ooh, cougar, <laughs> mm -hmm. got into a verbal argument in reference to the coffee maker not having any water in it. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's definitely why you do it, instead of just go get water. Yeah, that's reasonable. The quarrel took place Saturday in the pair's home in Sorrento, a town 30 miles north of Orlando. The couple's dispute turned violent. A probable cause affidavit states when Sandoval threw a package of Oreo cookies hitting her in the chest, causing her to fall. What is he, Nolan How does Ryan? it make you fall? How heavy are these Oreo cookies? At 75, if he has an arm like that, the twins need a pitcher. I was going to say... How how do you how hard did he hit her? <laughs> the twins have lost Kenta Maeda and Sonny Gray in two days. They do, need do this think, guy. Do you think he loaded into like a t-shirt cannon before he fired it at her? <laughs> like what the hell? Don't say that the twins need a promotion next year. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna be at a twins game and an Oreo's gonna fall on your lap. You're like, oh come on! You're gonna get hit between the eyes by an Oreo. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've, I've dreamed of that since I was five. <laughs> you hit between the eyes with an Oreo. Uh, while she was on the ground, the victim said Sandoval put his hands on her throat but did not restrict her airway. You know why? Because he what? can throw, but he certainly didn't choke. <laughs> During police questioning, Sandoval said his wife was yelling at him when he picked up a package of cookies and threw them at her adding that he thought the Orioles struck his spouse in the head. The Orioles, <laughs> boy, he was off just like twins pitchers. <laughs> Mr. By that much. <laughs> he definitely can't hit the strike zone. The Orioles, not further described, were not confiscated as evidence. Evidently didn't need to be. Plus, what would he have for lunch? <laughs> <laughs> Sandoval, who is... Said he helped his wife up from the floor. How nice of him. Chivalry's not dead. That's Claimed not. to have no recollection of grabbing her by the throat. Sandoval was charged with battery on a person 65 or older, which is a felony. He was freed from the county jail Monday after posting only $2,000 bond. That's it? Yeah, that's it. So by all that's means, Oreos. bruisers, start firing Oreos at the missus. <laughs> <laughs> She'd like that. She loves Oreos. <laughs> She'd probably stand there with her mouth open. <laughs> it's a game now at the Bruiser household. <laughs> a judge has ordered him to have no contact with his spouse. How do you do that in the house when you need coffee? Yeah, well, now you're going to a hotel. I guess. 
According to a court record, Sandoval was convicted in 2005 on a misdemeanor battery count and sentenced to three years probation in order to complete a domestic violence intervention class and a batterer's intervention program. I guess he failed that one miserably. (laughs) The victim in the earlier prosecution is the same woman as in the pending case. So she never left it. No. Yeah. Well, a 2005 docket entry states that Sandoval is a convicted felon. Details that reported prior are unavailable. There you go. I believe we're in the not safe for... We have three stories left here. We're in the not safe for work part of our program. All right. So here's where the kiddies go to bed. Buckle up, buttercup. We're going to give you five seconds to get the kids out of the room, to turn down your listening device, to get the boss out of the room, to put your earbuds in. Here we go. Five, four, three, two, one. This first one, I don't know how you do this on a bicycle. You have so much talent if you can do this on a bicycle. I'm curious because it's not safe for a condition and you're mentioning a bicycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> A bicyclist is arrested for wheelie lewd behavior. <laughs> this man, this man right here, Bruiser. It's a man. Okay. This man is arrested <sighs> for pleasuring himself while bicycling. How, wait, huh? <laughs> How does that work? And do you ever get it caught in the spokes? <laughs> well, I'm just worried if you hit a bunch of bumps. Oh, my balls. Oh, my balls. Oh, my balls. <laughs> <laughs> In a lewd feat of multitasking, an ex-con was arrested for indecent exposure after he was spotted masturbating while riding a bicycle. Somebody called the circus. Hey, he really likes Peloton, all right? He, like, really likes Peloton. Oh, no. A female witness told cops that she spotted a man later identified as 44-year-old Timothy Graham exposing his penis while masturbating while riding his bicycle. (laughs) That's a big, long sentence I don't think you ever thought you'd say in your life. Nope. Uh, <laughs> when I went to broadcasting school and Roy Finden said, say, furniture, furniture, furniture barn, temperature. I never was told to say masturbating while riding his bicycle. That was never <laughs> out of the curriculum. <laughs> never in the curriculum. But thank you, Roy. I bet you you're proud of me now. You didn't think Walter Cronkite sat there and... Mrs. Walter Cronkite, masturbating while riding a bicycle. (laughs) Masturbating while riding his bicycle. Good night, everybody. Friday, he was doing that in a parking lot in Indian Shores, a Gulf Coast town south of Clearwater, Florida. Of course, it's Florida. Well, the weather was good. It's sunny out. Why not whip your balls out and start masturbating? Yeah. Uh, it's a great day for a bark ride. Uh, oh, you know what else is a great day for? Masturbating. That's How do I put them together? <laughs> Just don't get it caught in the gears. Uh, <laughs> Graham was later stopped by cops, and the victim said he was 100% confident that he was the man she saw pleasuring himself at on the bike at around 5 a.m. So, beautiful sunset, Bruiser. Uh, or sunrise, I'm sorry. Sunrise, sunset. Um, yeah. He's out there. Oh, the sun's coming up. The breeze off the water there in clear water. I think I'll take it out and whip it to death. <laughs> he was probably like, I'm going to stop my paper route right now. Because it's too beautiful route. not to take in. Because why else are you riding a bike at 5 a.m.? <laughs> I'm starting my paper route. The man's 44 years old. He's got a paper route. 
he's had that paper up for 30 years, man. Mm-hmm. When Graham was first contacted by police, the zipper to his pants was down. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me. Then what's that? Oh. <laughs> uh, evidence? Uh, Graham, who claimed to have been sleeping in a park, was asked if he had engaged in the alleged lewd conduct. The defendant advised he was in the park, police noted. Charged with exposure of sexual organs, Graham, whose address is listed as an apartment building in nearby Largo, was booked into the county jail where he remains locked up in lieu of how much bond, Bruiser? Wait, 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 wait. He has an apartment, but he was sleeping in the park? It It was nice outside. He finished and was like, I gotta lay down right now. (laughs) Yes. Gotta go to sleep. Uh, I think uh, $50,000 bond. Wow! For jacking it on his bike? Uh, that's true. Let's go five thousand dollar bond. One more time. Twenty five hundred. Hundred and fifty bucks. That's it. Jacket, if you got it. That's it. That doesn't teach that's him a lesson at all. No. Hell, I might go out and stroke it in clear water for one fifty. Yeah. <laughs> I might get a paper out just to do this. Yeah. Until earlier this year, Graham was a state prisoner. Having been convicted in 2001 of attempted murder, arson, and burglary, in one of his several blazes, he copped to Graham splashed gasoline around a Largo house and ignited the property, which was occupied by six individuals. Nice guy. Yeah. Hey, at least he's going backwards instead of accelerating like most criminals do. Or fires. <laughs> Sentenced to torment. <laughs> Horrible Maybe joke. that's his therapy technique. Maybe his therapist is like, hey, when you think of setting fires, do something that you know, takes your mind off it. So maybe he was riding his bike at 5 a.m. when, man, that sunrise, those oranges and those yellows, like, oh, I got to start a fire. Wait, how do I, how do I, orange. ah, whip it out. And boop, 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 boop. <laughs> then he's going, get it, beat it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I got it. Sentenced to 25 years in prison, Graham was released from state custody six months ago. And ever since well, then, good for you. Wait, wait to be good for six months. That's right. Never, ever since when he sees a sunrise. We got it. We move on. What's uh, what's the biggest request you've ever made of a police officer? Uh, I don't know. Oh. Um, don't handcuff me behind because I have a bad wrist. Handcuff me in front. Okay. That, that, reasonable. Yeah. Reasonable. Yeah. You're not going to believe this one. <clears throat> okay. Again, we're in the not safe for work category of dumb crime, stupid criminals. A woman asked cops not to seize her adult toy. Okay. It's a precious, precious adult toy. <laughs> a plea was made as investigators executed a drug search warrant. While SWAT team members were searching her backpack. Oh, she keeps it in her backpack. Okay, she's ready to go. Well, you know, sometimes you got to be. They discovered methamphetamine and other narcotics. Ariella Messina had one request of law enforcement. Don't take my dildo. You can take the mess, but leave the dildo. I believe that's a country song, but don't take my dildo. <laughs> the 27-year-old Messina made this plea after investigators found a blue vibrator in the backpack. Evidently, she wants to boff a Smurf. 
<laughs> the backpack also contained Messina's driver's license and a necklace with the name Ariella. Aw. She can't remember her name. Well, uh, with all the drugs she had. <laughs> by asking for her sex toy, police declared, Messina made it apparent that the backpack was hers and she was aware of the contents inside. <laughs> Uh, ma'am, are these your drugs? No, but that sex toy, that's mine. <laughs> but that's, I want that back. But that Smurf dick, that's mine. <laughs> Don't take that. During the execution of a search warrant early Tuesday morning at the residence in Jensen Beach, Florida, cops seized cocaine, meth, drug paraphernalia, and brass knuckles. Because eventually you're going to have to knock a bitch out over your drugs. She covered all the bases. Yes, she did. Pleasure, get high. Fuck yourself. Pain. Pain. <laughs> yeah, pain. <laughs> Messina was one of five individuals arrested at the scene. In addition to her adult toy, police found a substance that tested positive for meth and muscle relaxants for which she did not have a prescription. Oh, well, she's going real crazy. Yeah. Get that methamphetamine, get you all amped up. Take that muscle relaxer so your body's nice and calm. That's right. At the time of her November 21st arrest, Messina was on probation in connection with a 2022 conviction for possession of cocaine, ecstasy, and marijuana. Those drugs, court records show, were inside a locked safe in Messina's residence. <laughs> no, don't put money in it. Put the drugs yeah. in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Protect what's most important, your vibrator and your drugs. Messina was booked into the county jail on a pair of felony drug counts. She's being held in lieu of how much bond, Bruiser? $300. Oh, no, there's drugs involved. I'm going to say $1,500. Go a little higher. We'll give you one more. $2,500. 10000 bucks. Oh, wow. By the way, the... Did she get her vibrator back? No, the whereabouts of her dildo are unknown at this time. <laughs> However, I will gladly show up at her house and substitute. Oh. Yeah, she's a very beautiful woman. Yes, she is. Just saying. I'll bring, yeah. I'll bring the Coke. We'll be up all night. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Just saying. She's not a bad looking woman. No. Mm -mm. And she clearly doesn't have a boyfriend. Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. And finally, one more story. You got it. Dumb crime, stupid criminals. A woman has been arrested for masturbating with a vibrator on a Georgia beach. <laughs> what is with these women publicly going on with their, their vibrators? I have no idea. Well, hopefully it was in the morning and it was the sunset so we can tie the first story in this story together. <laughs> the 34-year-old moaning Georgian was spotted using her vibrator there. She told police that she did not think anyone witnessed her self-pleasure session because it only took her 20 seconds to orgasm. Oh, okay. Damn. her. She's, yeah. she's quick. That's a good vibrator. That's right. <laughs> Responding to a 5.30 p.m. report of a woman performing a sexual act on the beach, Tybee Island cops last month interviewed a witness who said the female suspect placed a towel on the sand and then opened her backpack and removed what looked like a vibrator. The woman, the witness, told police began using the apparent vibrator to masturbate, adding that she could hear her moaning. After about five minutes, the woman gathered her belongings and departed. She okay. made it quick. Yeah, 
20 seconds and she's done. That's right. <laughs> Normally it's the guy who's 20 seconds and done. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The witness, cops noted, recorded the suspect's actions. Oh, I'm sure he did. <laughs> mm-hmm. A review of the video showed the suspect, who was wearing a one-piece green bikini, retrieve an unknown item from her backpack. The woman then spreads her legs apart and puts both of her hands in between her legs. By the way, there's certain members of the chat room who totally turned this show off the minute I started saying this. Oh, really? Have you ever been in the chat room when a, when a porn bot shows up? Oh, God, yeah. They all run for the hills. <laughs> yeah, they're all, and they, they right away, Tim, 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 get rid of it. Burn it with fire. It has a crotch. <laughs> My eyes. Yeah. It's it's like it's like trying to rally kids at a preschool around a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Come on, kids. It's okay. It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> it's a snack. I don't know what that means. Investigators, I don't, I don't know. Investigators subsequently located the suspect, 34-year-old Christina Revels Glick at a nearby restaurant. <laughs> Revels Glick, a Georgia resident who lives about 40 miles from Tybee Island. Boy, she drove out of her way she to get the... She way out. This is a very, very, very romantic beach. Well, I, I think she was trying to get as far away as possible to get the experience so nobody uh, she knew, she wouldn't run into anybody. Yeah, it wouldn't be like she's doing that. Oh, hi, buddy from PTA. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Is that, is that Christina? From work? <laughs> Your next boyfriend. I know those. I know those moans anywhere. They'll be done in fifteen seconds. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you never did that with me. Um, <laughs> uh, so Christina Revels Glick, thirty-four years old, Georgia resident. Georgia resident lives about forty miles away from Tybee Island. Reportedly admitted to masturbating at the beach. With her vibrator, Revels Glick advised that she had put it between her legs and it was covered with a towel and that she believed that no one saw her. When Revels Glick was later booked for indecent exposure and disorderly conduct, she uttered that she was sorry for what she did, and that she did not think anyone saw her because it took her about 20 seconds to orgasm, that according to Tybee Island Police Department records. The vibrator in question was found in Revels Glick's backpack. Again with the backpack. Another backpack, okay. Evidently, whenever you see a woman with a backpack, you know what's in it. Uh, yep, meth and, meth and vibrators. Meth and coke and vibrators. Uh, was photographed by police for evidentiary purposes. Again, another good-looking woman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Look at this. Why is she? Okay. Two for two on the good-looking women with vibrators. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely do not kick her out of bed for eating crackers. No. I think I think the, the clue here, Bruiser, is uh guys out there, if you're looking for uh if you're looking for good looking active women, look for go them to, with back. Go to Florida and Georgia. Yeah, go to the south. So to go speak. to a beach. Go to a beach or go somewhere and look for a good looking woman with a backpack. Yeah. Oh yeah. You definitely know she's lonely if she's a good-looking woman with a backpack. Yep. There you go, single guys. We got you. There you go. And evidently, she's she's uh, she's hungry. Just saying. <laughs> and with her, 20 seconds and you're done. <laughs> well, for that one, yeah. <laughs> Not speaking for the one who's on coke, but she might be right. wanting a little bit more. But 
Just saying. So we figured it out. We broke the code for all those guys out there. Yeah, we're gonna. You know what? We're we're couple. We're we're uh, we're gonna get a bunch of people saying thank you. I met my wife because of you guys. That's right. I saw a good-looking woman in a mall. She had a backpack. I walked up, and now we're married. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> she keeps taking me to the beach, and I don't know why. But I love going to the beach. I love the beach. I've got sand everywhere, but I love the beach. <laughs> so that'll do it for True Crime Tuesday today. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Even though we got a little raunchy at the end, but, you know, hey, it was worth it. In chat room, it's okay. You can listen again. Yeah, just saying. Just yeah. remember, you see someone in the back, a woman in the backpack. She's, we she's, know what it is. She's ready and willing. Yes. <laughs> now I'm going to get the chat room saying, I have a backpack and I don't want anything to do with that. I just use it to carry my books. I'm going to giggle every time I see a good looking woman with a backpack. See, you'll know. Oh, I know. Yeah. Next time I'm at the gym, nudge one of them and go, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> Good I, for you. I know. I hear you. I hear you, sister. You're all about it. I know. <laughs> I feel you. I mean, not literally feel you. Might get in trouble for that. I don't know. Um, tomorrow on the big show, Supernatural News. Got some good stuff for you tomorrow for Supernatural News. Just saying. Uh, and then uh, Nicole Magic on Thursday. Oh, nice. Yeah, we got some exciting stuff with Nicole Magic on Thursday. Uh, let's see here. What you got going on this weekend? Uh, rest and relaxation. Trying to uh, get the body back, get the mind back, play with the pups a little bit. Um, I'm still training um, the future of professional wrestling, amlwrestling.com slash training. Go there. If you want to train with me, the Bigger City Bruiser, I will get you ready to uh, work events like WrestleCade and uh, have a blast. And then uh, my schedule will probably pick up. I'm not going full-time back in ring, but my schedule will pick up in January where I'm going to go on a couple. Of, I'm going to pick and choose where I want to go depending on if I have family in the area or friends. Or, there you go. You know, and I've been contacted by a. Minnesota promoter you and I know about. We're in the middle of working some details. So I'm not going to say who it is online, but you know who he is. I know who he is. So we'll see if uh, we can come to an agreement and I can come see the cruiser. That'd be nice. It might be one of the same who I've had. Uh, I haven't had them reach out directly, but through intermediaries, if that's the word, intermediaries. I don't know. Uh, has talked to me about potentially ring announcing again. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. We'll talk. We'll talk. We'll find out. Yeah. Um, this weekend, Enchanted Expo with a Twist, a winter wonderland. It is going on at the Shoreview Community Center in Shoreview. Um, I'm one of the guests of honor, and I'm speaking first right away in the morning at 10 o'clock. It goes from 10 to 5 at the Shoreview uh, Community Center. You can go to darknessradioshow.com and go in the events section. You can also go to enchantedawakenings.net and get the full schedule. And uh, I'll be talking EVP. Oh, nice. Yeah. Be talking EVP in the morning, and I'll be there all day long. Uh, Come on out and say hi. For sure. Yeah. So that's going on this weekend. 
I think that's about it. Uh, tomorrow, Supernatural News right here on the big program for Beer City Bruiser. I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us today on True, True Crime Tuesday. We'll see you again for Supernatural News right here on Darkness Radio.